Hello, welcome to another episode of the Built Broadcast podcast series and another episode in the irregular sub-series of enterprise-themed podcasts. Although this time we'll also be touching on research, employability and more besides. I'm Dave Jarman, a senior lecturer in entrepreneurship at the Centre for Innovation and Entrepreneurship and a Built Fellow. Joining me today are Dr Lauren Elfs, the Enterprise Advisor in the Career Service Student Enterprise Team, but also a Biological Sciences PhD, if I'm not mistaken, and a previous startup founder. Uh, and also, Dr. Simon Bates and Dr. Michael Dicker. Have we got, got the titles right? Correct. Excellent. Uh, both PhDs in engineering? Yes. Correct. Any specific formats of engineering? We're both mechanical engineers by undergraduate degrees. We did our PhDs in the composites group, so carbon okay. fibre, things like that. So that uh, sort of area. Excellent. And you are now two of the three founders of Actuation Labs. Mm-hmm. Correct. Which is a, a spin-out from the University of Bristol. Yeah, so it's a spin-out. So the, the university has a stake in the company, but we're, uh, we're, we're leading the charge. Okay. So in a sense, you guys are, are a live startup. Uh, Lauren and I, in different ways, support emerging startups. And actually, Lauren's been part of a startup yourself. Yeah. That's definitely... Yeah, so um, our team, the Basecamp Enterprise team, actually sit within the career service, but we offer stuff that actually supports a very broad range of entrepreneurs um, from spin-outs, uh, well, sorry, from startups of, of little tiny freelance companies all the way to um, spin-outs like Actuation Lab to a certain extent. And the aim of today's podcast really is to, is to have a conversation about the nature of the relationship between what enterprise is and how best we support it and what researchers are doing within the university at different levels and how best to support and talk to researchers about the process of being enterprising doing spin-outs, doing startups, talking to the wider world about their research. Um, I think what I'd like to talk about first is that I think, I think a definition of enterprise might be useful. So there is an organisation called VTI, which many in the university may have heard of. It's a not-for-profit organisation supporting the professional development of researchers. And their researcher development framework defines enterprise as the application of creative ideas and innovation to practical situations. It uses a set of skills and attitudes that can enable a culture of innovation, creativity, risk-taking and opportunism that underpins employability, enables entrepreneurship, intrapreneurship, and facilitates knowledge exchange. There's quite a lot going on in there. But what's interesting to my mind is it, it's, not, it's not exclusively about entrepreneurship. It also highlights that idea of entrepreneurship and joining companies and talking to companies through knowledge exchange and actually that some researchers will find themselves in employment, relatively traditional employment, but using a set of skills partly derived from research and partly uh, potentially being drawn from enterprise. Now, if I can talk uh, to Michael and Simon first, you've found your way through this system from undergrads in engineering uh, through PhDs and now into a startup. Could you tell me a little bit about what you thought you were doing at each of those stages and, and kind of how it led to the next? So as undergrads, did you, did you know you wanted to go into research? As, as researchers, what did you think you were going to do? And, and, and how has that panned out? Do you want me to... You start, Michael, yeah. Uh, so, it's a long story, isn't it? So, I mean, I think the thing that's always hit me through studying engineering is that you always expect to be designing and making things and doing new technology. And the reality of it is it turns out to be a lot more project management and spreadsheets. So for me, 
pursuing a PhD and, and more research was about staying hands-on with new technology. I think I thought that you know, university research was more of a route towards application of technology, getting technology made and used by people. And I think over, over the course of the PhD, I've seen that that's not really the case. Um, I don't think it's the best way of getting technology out there. That's your goal. So then transitioning again into um, an entrepreneurial role and starting your own company is a way to go, keep going towards that goal of I've got ideas, I want to make them and see them see their use be realised. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, my, my sort of route into this was uh, came to the end of my undergrad, found subjects which I was um, particularly uh, drawn towards and, and was fairly good at academically, but didn't want to get a big job in a big company because that just didn't, the idea of that didn't suit me. I wanted to carry on making stuff. Um, so I went and did that and then I did a PhD that was linked with the RNLI, so a sort of industry linked. But even with that, we created something that would uh, that could potentially improve something in the industry, but actually getting anything out there beyond the lab is a particularly tricky thing to do. And so that sort of stagnated at the end of the PhD and then it sort of transitioned into what we're doing now. Talking to, talking to engineering students at all levels down the years, I mean, the idea of wanting to make things and play with technology seems to be a pretty common motivation amongst engineering students. Yeah. At what point do you think engineering students think about the best ways to keep doing that or the best ways to turn that into the thing that you do and not get swallowed by the sort of slightly more remote management of technology route i think it's i think it's tricky to do that at the end of your undergrad because you'll be doing these you know when we found as uh, in my case anyway you're doing a lot of very hands-on engineering at the end of your undergrad PhD but you're also absolutely swamped with um, with exams and various other things mm. so it's very hard to then think you, you're sort of thinking about getting a job rather than creating stuff and that tends yeah. to so so it doesn't seem to come there but then these uh, hoops sort of appear yeah. that you think you need to get through yeah yeah, yeah. rather than I was going to say the drive for finding internships with undergraduate engineering students here is all-encompassing. It's all they think about. It's all they want. Yeah. So I don't think they realise it's not what they want until they go and do that. Yeah. And it's valuable. They learn a lot doing it. Mm. So I encourage but In it. a sense, I guess one of the things that I, that I find interesting here is that if you want to act on an idea, if you're just genuinely motivated about kind of you know, changing the world, creating value, bringing something forward, we're not necessarily highlighting to people that enterprise and entrepreneurship is a way to do that these other things get in the way. Lauren? Uh, I think um, from an undergraduate engineering student perspective, the, the ones that I've spoken to, yeah, it's, you're right. They, there's, a, there's very good industry links with very big industry players uh, within the engineering department, which is obviously excellent. However, in terms of like building those entrepreneurial mindsets, if you like, and like, actually, you can do this, and it, you don't have to get... Um, just a just that fantastic internship that somebody else has got at Babcock or a huge engineering firm. What about bringing in some of those supply chain people in earlier? Um, you know, so some of the people who uh, support Airbus with creating that fantastic wing on that new liner mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, couldn't we get them in? Couldn't we um, have a few more kind of challenge-based learning, for want of a better term? Um, because I think actually, yes, you're quite exceptional as an undergraduate to start a business as soon as you finish. It does happen. They are exceptional. They're brilliant. But um, actually giving them the opportunity to work on something a little bit 
different work in those smaller companies and develop a bit more I think this would be a way forward because in a sense if I, if I wind you all back to being undergrads if, if, if there had been a sort of hey come and do enterprise entrepreneurship over here would that have been something that you even recognised as oh this is this is a way to play with technology and make things I was going to say let's say for me so I did a you know, I'm from Australia, I went to a not very well-known university, the wonderful University of Wollongong, and I did an exchange here at UC Berkeley, which is, of course, in the Bay Area, launch of, lots of entrepreneurship going on around there. And I did do an elective course there on entrepreneurship, and they got in lots of guest speakers, but they were all software people and um, food and services type people. No one was doing hard engineering, as I would call it. So even though I did that and I recognised there's something I liked, I didn't recognise it as the route for me to hard engineering and to make things. Yeah, I think you get, it's when you move into the sort of the PhD space, and which is one of the nice things about being around Bristol, a lot of our um, sort of co-workers who did PhDs at the same time, they've moved into some really interesting, very small companies. So it's not mm. not necessarily set up a company, but there's, you know, we've, we've got, I don't know, maybe three or four people in our cohort of 13 have gone to small companies and set up in the last sort of two to four years. So there's, as you move further down, and I guess you've got a little bit more freedom and you get immersed a bit more in the ecosystem, it does become more common and easier. There's, yeah. So having that stuff around you, those kind of exemplars and those examples, and even just having that kind of culture, is something that, you know, whether it's explicit or implicit, says there are other ways to do this and this stuff might be routes to do the thing to do the things that you want to do. In the same way that in some ways the current culture where everybody seems to be fighting for the same internships means that everybody thinks they ought to be fighting for those internships and it's just mm. viral. Yeah, but I certainly think having more connections with SMEs in the university engineering, um, both at the sponsored PhD research level and at the internship level, would be great. Mm. I know there's the, the great scheme where we can get a discounted intern through the university. It's still um, challenging if you're not quite up and running yet and on payroll. There's still a few hoops to jump through to do that. I think we could do it a bit yeah, more. Yeah, I think we it could. could be a bit more dynamic and a little bit more... It was really interesting you saying, I went on this entrepreneurship course, but it didn't speak to me because it needs to be pretty specific mm. to, to your mindset. And I've, We do I, hear that, don't we? I hear that more and more and more, and actually it just um, makes me more aware of the fact that we need a really diverse range of role models and we need a really diverse range of stories that we're telling and the way that they, we, we sort of communicate them with mm. people. Which also says that actually that this isn't about creating a kind of generic enterprise offer. That actually that the, well. the, the ways that it works, I think particularly, and actually I'd be interested in your feedback on this, for, for people who want to do a particular thing, often if they're kind of deep in a, an academic tradition, mm is it feels like it has to talk very directly to that tradition in that, you know, it had to be hard engineering, for example, and actually even software engineers were, were not the people to, for you to go, oh, right, I want to be them. And, you know, similarly, you know, we you know, at the moment I'm working with the Centre for Doctoral Training in Computational Mathematics, and actually, you know, Simon, you came and you spoke to some of them recently, and some of them did turn around and say, oh, that was really interesting, but he, he's making physical things. Like that's not what we do. Like that that's not a role model for me. And it's kind of like, oh right, okay. Even when we're, you know, in the frames of engineering sciences, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, we are reasonably close. It's not close enough. I think there's also a part in that on 
coming up with exciting ideas because I, f- I feel like there may be a, a fair appetite for, do you know, I'd be quite interested in working for myself. And I, mm. I sort of think there is a fair appetite for that. But I don't actually know what my idea is. Or we speak to lots of very credible entrepreneurs who are like really great people, but they have slightly slightly entry-level ideas for wonderful vets so um that you know for example they're 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 just based on what they've been experiencing in their potentially fairly short life you know so, mm, yeah. um so, so, far. so does that, that, that in some ways that's a, that's a neat segue to, to to talk about the kind of the phd experience because mm. in some ways a phd is an opportunity to develop kind of deep technical competence around a particular idea to to go a bit deeper to kind of give yourself three four years to go right, I'm going to focus on something that could be potentially quite high value. Was that a, a motivation when you were coming to PhD? That idea that you were going to get the chance to sort of deepen your know-how and you know play with a piece of technology. Certainly, play with a piece of technology. So I didn't really think about it. I mean, for me, it was it was more about what can I create in these three or four years of no boss and, and budget <laughs> and a lab more than I'm going to take this technology and really understand it more than anyone else. Because that's a bit of a science thing, right? We're engineers, so we're always about the applications. So it was, how can I take these different ideas from sciences and make a product? The problem was, at no stage in the PhD do you ever go out and ask someone, is this the product you want? Or that problem I've come up with in my head, is that a real problem? Yeah. So, so two things there, because I want to I want to come back to that idea of yeah. an audience for a product later if I can. But but actually, it, it sounds like you were even at that stage thinking of creating a product. So it's not it's not particularly abstract. It's quite I want to make something. Yeah, it's not maybe products too much of refined word, but certainly thinking about very firm applications. Okay. You know, and is that true? Well? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I was because I was working with with industry with the RNLI we kind of we went over the the, the, the sort of process of going right what, what are your issues um, so and we went and found it we're like okay small lifeboats big impacts people destroy their knees doing this so so can we make something that mitigates the shock and that was essentially my PhD I find a way of doing that um, and I did that and you know I didn't drill down into the most fine details of the technical stuff there was a lot of just like building things and dropping stuff on it um which is kind of my kind of my kind of level of engineering i don't know what it says about me but the um i was kind of application driven and it was sort of halfway through that i actually kind of went oh yeah there's this could potentially be a commercial application for this sort, sort of thing okay that one sort of fell by the wayside but um i still believe there would be a future but um but yeah that was that's kind of the route I took there. But that sounds, I mean, yours is interesting because in a sense you had a client. In a sense you were, to one degree or another, thinking about an audience mm. for what you were generating out of your PhD in a way that maybe, Michael, that wasn't so true and you were mm. kind of deeply technical embedded but not necessarily understanding the domain or the mm. customer. I mean, did, Simon, you know, despite the fact you had this client, mm. were you supported in understanding that client and understanding the idea of them as a as a customer so, for a value proposition? Yeah, so that was a tricky one. Getting sort of getting face as a PhD student in a different in a different area, a different department, um, and, and there's nothing against the RNLI, I was sort of in my own little bubble really. And you know, I try and get in contact with them as often as I could and go down there and talk things through, but you're you're a small person working on what is seen as very sort of very blue sky research. Mm. So um, as often as I could, we'd try and drag out the things that we needed to do. But 
I, I sort of I was a bit constrained in it in the fact that and I so therefore I would go off in my own direction a bit yeah. and that's I didn't have quite the focus of what I would do if I was doing that as a commercial entity. And I think that is something that we do hear quite regularly about the kind of the difference between a PhD experience and, and maybe a more classic entrepreneurship in that you're, you've got time and space to kind of go deeply into the kind of the technicalities, whichever, whatever discipline you're in, but you're not necessarily thinking about the audience, you're not necessarily thinking about the application. Uh, is that I, I'm not sure that's universally the case. So even though I'm from a, I did a science PhD, I had a biochemistry undergraduate background and then I did a veterinary parasitology PhD which just in support of PhDs I think it's a huge privilege to be able to do one mm. and there you you hear about the hard work of them but actually you don't hear enough about how fantastic it is to be able to have that that space and freedom um, and mine was similar to, um, in a way to Simon's that I had it was in industrially funded well funded by uh, the donkey sanctuary actually um, down in Devon and I was solving a problem so that was my motivator that's what you know I actually found really exciting and quite um, you know uh, motivating I guess mm. so I think it depends I think there are different ver like really really varied versions of that but I think we do quite often when we think about PhDs think about them from a uh, research council funded perspective which is very beneficial of course and we need that like uh, blue sky thinking um, but and uh, and uh, pure um, research but there is also quite a lot of uh, industrially funded or um, in the case of other um, biology backgrounds maybe um, kind of drugs company funded ones and things like that. So it is worth highlighting I mean PhDs do come in all different shapes and sizes yeah. and clearly yeah. some have have a problem focus yeah. whereas others are more speculative in their nature. I mean, to what degree do you think PhD students should receive some, any support about the idea of thinking about their idea as a venture? And at what point should that be? Because in a sense, you've said, okay, you know, you know, we were potentially talking to clients, we were potentially thinking about the idea that it was going to have application, it was going to solve a problem. But there's still a, there's still a little bit of distance there to kind of going and starting a business and creating value and generating some form of revenue back to continue to generate that value. Now, where should we intervene and, and to what degree? I think it's very much dependent on the supervisors and the, yeah. the departments that you're in, mm. because I think mm. the, the PhDs is, is usually dictated by the motivations of the supervisor, and yeah. some of those are quite enterprising. But yeah. some some are not, mm. um, and then you, and then it's sort of interweaved with the bureaucracy of the funding and and, <laughs> and then all those other things. Yeah, I was going to agree. I think it's the supervisor you need to target more than the student themselves mm. in a lot of these cases. Mm. Um, and as you sort of saying, yeah, every PhD is different. But I do have a particular problem with I feel quite a lot in engineering. It's engineering, so it is meant to be solving a problem, and the supervisor's been working on the same problem. There's this great narrative about the problem for the last twenty years. But I'm pretty sure the problem isn't real. Mm. So I don't necessarily, I mean, tackle this both ways. You get the student out there doing more engagement with users and stakeholders um, to adjust their research accordingly. But you do have to tackle the supervisor in these, oh, in these yeah. um, situations to, as well. To, to, what, to, to, I was to what degree do you think either the, the student and the supervisor is receptive to the idea that research can or should be enterprising? 
Well, I think uh, I think I think you've got to define enterprising to mm. the to the individual um, to get them to realise. I mean, a lot of I think a lot of academics would, if they've been working on their idea for 15, 20 years, um, would have an idea that potentially maybe student X is going to go out there and make a company out of it, and they'll sit in the university and it'll and the student will go make it a success mm. and things like that, and that might be their idea of enterprise or yep. entrepreneurship. Um, whereas it's very different very much for the student. And I think if the student has the appropriate sort of mentorship from somebody who's done something in their area before, I mean, that's what really gets us going. Mm. When If we meet somebody who's done something in the area that we've, we're working in and they tell the story, you're like, right, I get it. It's possible we can go down this route. So that's, that's how I'd sort of approach the students for sure. I, I don't know about the supervisor. Yeah, so I think you've got to get across the idea of supervisors that because they are thinking this, you know, oh, I'm going to commercialise this. And they are thinking, yeah, it's going to be student X that's going to go and do it. But it needs to be student A or B that goes and does it, really. I think there's a, yeah. the biggest misconception of engineering academics is how, how they think their tech needs to be a lot further along than it does mm. to, go out, <clears throat> excuse me, to go out there and, and, and do the entrepreneurial thing or to start talking to stakeholders. Um, what we learn time and time again is no one cares about tech, right? Um, which is so distant to an academic thought of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so you've got to drill into them somehow, hey, rather than spending the next 10 years on this and putting 15 papers into it, when we get first proof of concept, how are we going to speak to some people before we... So you can guide, the next, guide. Yeah. So you can guide the next bit so that you're not doing fruitless research, I think, for, if you're going to go down that route. And then they may find at that point, then someone will go, yeah, that's a great idea, that's just a problem I have or adjusted this way, it's just a problem I have. So just Here's building on that, go do it. I think one of the things that we have had on a number of occasions is that, is that a couple of the kind of key pieces is trying to pursue the idea of progress rather than perfection, that it's about moving forward, not necessarily trying to get it just right because what they have is just right. But equally, that idea of talking to your users early enough to kind of shape it, but partly for your own purposes, but partly for its application, and that actually, you know, you you don't necessarily want to spend three, four years staring at the lab bench. Hmm. Actually, you need to lift your eyes off off the lab bench and go and talk to people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. So in that case, my next question would be: When is the right moment in a PhD? Whether that is a conversation that we have with a supervisor or a conversation we have with a student, you know, at what point should we be encouraging a PhD student to look up from the lab bench and go? Who wants this in what format? Or or maybe they don't want this, but they might want me as a result of the things that I learned how to do by trying to do this. I think that's where it goes back to Michael's point about you need to win the hearts and minds of the supervisor over because actually the lab bench, you're chained to it by... Well, you're not chained to it. They're, they're not that mad. But uh, supervisors, <laughs> no, are t- no, no. So supervisors are telling you what to do and some of them are putting you know, a fair amount of pressure on their PhD yeah, student yeah. to go down a certain route. Mm. So actually, yes, you do have the exceptional PhD students who see the, see the value in that and, and go and do a bit of research and then take it out of the lab. And that's where our hugely successful spin-outs of what they've done. So Ultra mm-hmm. Haptics, what Ultra Leap, um, and Xylo for sure. But I think, it, I think it's a bit of both. It's got to be from uh, the supervisor's perspective as well. And I'm not sure whether the introduction of the knowledge exchange framework will change that much, um, but it, it may... That might be a, a whole other podcast, <laughs> if I'm but, honest, that one. Because I, I was going to say, I certainly feel like the, the 
the incentives or what you're meant to do to be a good academic yeah. are the complete opposite to being a good entrepreneur or getting a product out there. So yeah. if you pivot or fail quickly in your academic research, that's very bad. That's probably <laughs> the end of your academic career. You can't, you can't do these things in academia under the current metrics of papers and citations, which we as academics live and die by. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had one academic give me a very candid conversation in a pub where all good conversations happen about saying, you know, Michael, the work you do is great. I love how you're so multidisciplinary and, and doing all sorts of cool things. But I give you some advice. The time to do that is when you get to my older stage of your career. When you're young, if you want to make it as an academic, find one area, stick to it, churn out the papers, iterative little steps, um, self sight that's what you do. But that's the complete opposite to what we do in Actuation yeah. Lab, which is you know, go and talk to people regular and early, um, test assumptions over again fast, move direction to where the to where we think the benefit is. And I don't haven't worked out how to mesh the two together, academia yeah. and, and otherwise. It, I'd say mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's worth saying that, yeah, because we, we started Actuation Lab having finished the PhD and we actually, we were quite fortunate, in fact, we had a bit more freedom. Um, I had a, sort of a fairly relaxed supervisor who was quite happy for us to explore ideas and sort of have a bit of freedom in that sense. And so it was, it was after that that, with that without having someone breathing down your neck or, or trying to push you to get the papers out. And I knew I wasn't going to be a career academic because, I, you know, I just drop stuff on stuff. But um, <laughs> the, um, I thought I might give it a go. But, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, so so I, I sort of, I, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't have fitted that model well at all um, for doing that. So it's fortunate this sort of, we managed to get this going at that point. But uh, I can see how it's tricky when you're in the academic game properly. I mean, it's, I mean the way that you described it, I mean, it, the, the cultures sound, you know, quite different and that actually in a sense you know in some ways it's no surprise that people who are embedded and have had their careers in one culture are going to potentially struggle to encourage people to abide by a different culture to be successful in that but equally we kind of know that there's only so much room in academia Mm -hmm. for the people coming through the early stages of academic training so and there's not much of that room it's very yeah very tight so there is a there is a real challenge here about how we help both supervisors and students create a generation of students who do feel like they can kind of take take the value of a research program and go, and go and do things with that because we need them to do that. I mean, we kind of know that the the companies that are likely to create lots of growth, lots of jobs, lots of value have a tendency to be um, quite technical mm-hmm. in nature, but also have kind of deep domain expertise that you know, if you don't have both kind of deep tech and, deep, and the deep domain knowledge, it either ain't gonna go or ain't gonna scale kind of rapidly. That feels like a really challenging thing to do, mm. that we've got these technical people, but we're not moving them across well yeah. enough. I, I think that's, yeah, I, I'm just gonna say when, you know, we, the domain area for us, it's like we, we're doing, we're, we're producing a tech, but potentially going into an area that we don't understand very well. Mm. So um, we, we find that that's hugely important is finding the people that do know that stuff. So yeah. I think it can, people can be very successful in those 
sort of domains, but as long as you find the right people quickly in the industry. And, and recognising you're not the domain expert. Yes. Because, you know, a lot of academics like to think they know everything and uh, they are the world any expert in a domain, yeah. but they're generally not. So. I think, do, yeah, doing this... Or, is or a very narrow yeah, yeah, bit yeah. of a domain. Yeah. Yeah. Doing this sort of thing is very, um, it'll, you know, it's a good way to break down the ego, I think, a bit, um, because you realise that, you know, you, you, yeah. you, you're really very pigeonholed, I think, in, if you're focused in academia. So actually, I mean, is there a case for saying... Clearly, a certain amount of support ought to be delivered through the curriculum, as it were, that it's the supervisor relationships, it's the cultural departments, but that is also potentially quite a barrier as well. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that the, the onus falls on extracurricular or co-curricular pillars of support so that a PhD potentially struggling under a supervisor who doesn't necessarily buy into where they want to go and where they think their idea might go can turn to for support so they can still find their way out. I'm just, no, I, mean, I was just going to say, I mean, this year I've been handed a, a class to run, all the six lessons on smart materials, and I've sort of rewritten it with, a, with an entrepreneurial focus to try and get some of his education across earlier, and had Lauren in for a guest lecture where we did Business Model Canvas, and I, I feel the students have really engaged with it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we can get the education more into the curriculum, mm. but keeping the domain focus on it, but having it part of a, a core unit of their education, it's just. I think that I think I think that idea that it it's it's within their core is really important because yeah. I've I've been providing kind of training for students in the doctoral training sense for a number of years, and some of them do absolutely buy into it and are super keen, and others do absolutely give off the sense that they are hostages to this, and it's it's too early, it's kind of too generic, um, yeah. Well, I think what's maybe a little bit different with um, the course that um, you're just talking about there was that it, it wasn't that generic. So mm. the examples that they're allowed to work on, they come up with themselves and are probably based on what they're working on for the first project for their PhD. Mm. So they should be pretty motivated and turned on by that and like really quite passionate about taking it forward. And they generally are. Mm. I think actually another thing that we kind of haven't touched on really is that they are a PhD is in a way, uh, does pay, pay quite well for entrepreneurship. Mm. You have to be very sort of self-motivated, yeah. planning, like happy to, you know, adapt quite quickly, um, even though the output's maybe not very entrepreneurial, yeah. such Absolutely. as papers. Um, that's it. I mean, if, if it feels like a very, you know, it is an independent research process, you know, in some ways the idea of doing your literature review is not dissimilar to doing market research. It's what's already out there, what can be done, what would actually be valuable, what would be original. You know, there's lots of parallels mm. between the entrepreneurial experience and uh, the PhD experience. S- some of it feels linguistic and the idea that, well, you did that thing over there, but you can also call that over, yeah. over here, and that's valuable over yeah. here too. Mm. A- and then it's, is it, is it, is it simply that, that encouragement and that licence uh, to, to, to move across or, or is it that bit about looking up from the bench and talking to a wider world about the, the ideas that you have yeah, I guess it's got to it's got to feel less like moving across I think mm. it's got to yeah. be integrated into the culture of what's happening if we want to make sure that the mm. people find it that it's not sort of a a taboo thing to do, to, to do. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily taboo, but 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 it but it you, there, there's, a, there's a bit of a yeah. Um, the culture doesn't say right. This is a clear output, and we got lots of people who are doing it, and we've got a good network of people who support you for doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, there's a lot of great stuff that's going on to do that, but you know, it can be it can be expanded for sure. Mm. I think Absolutely. some of the ideas that were brought forward in that uh, lecture that I mm. came in for were were so exciting actually, and they were really quite passionate about them. So it's it's also just you know they they probably most of them won't set up businesses, but the fact that we're saying. Mm isn't this great? And you're thinking about all your stakeholders in this. It's actually good for uh, the impact of their research full stop. Mm-hmm. So it feeds into REF in that respect. And their first, year, their first year. First year. CET, yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. catch them right? yeah. um, I think just having, at no point during the whole PhD, ever, someone ever asked them, why would someone actually use this great bit of technology? Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And lots of them were like, oh, I don't, yeah. well, it's better. I was like, oh, come on, give me a bit yeah, more than yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just starting that conversation of, of that, I think, is... And then the user understanding is better. It's yeah. such an interesting term here. It's just yeah. like, well, it's quicker. Well, it's more yeah. efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. but what if that's, those aren't the values yes. that your customers are looking for? Yes. Oh. You quantify the value of that. Yeah. Because yeah. they like doing that. Yeah, they're engineers. Yeah. Yeah. And they tell them to start putting numbers on these things that weren't part of their core engineering. They're like, I guess I can do that. And I think that's hugely valuable to learn, not only if you're going to go into an enterprising entrepreneurship position, because what you're going to do if you don't do that, and even if you're going to a big company, mm-hmm. you're going to hit someone that has budgets, and their budgets are sort of monetary driven. And okay, you're mm-hmm. back to the, does your, does your idea make money, even if it's for your big mm-hmm. corporation? So, so if you can instill that at a sort of an academic level, you're more prepared for that anyway. So even if you don't go enterprising. So there's clearly something in here that that, that's partly about language. It's partly about where that guidance is kind of rooted from. That it's got to be. I think a key issue with PhDs is it's got to be credible within their discipline, because in a sense that's what they're tuned into. I think particularly at the early stages, as I think they start to head towards the exit door, they start to think what's beyond the exit door, and sometimes the conversation opens up a little bit more. But there's, there's something about language, there's something about credibility, there's something about persuading people of the value of looking up and talking to people in a wider network about their ideas, their skills, their know-how. Would, is that a kind of a, a fair way to start thinking about that transi- trans- transitioning from I'm going to be a researcher to I'm going to be an enterprising researcher? Yeah, I think absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Are there, are there, just to, to kind of wrap up, are, are there any kind of key lessons learned from your own experiences of having been through this process of kind of moving from research to enterprise that you know you, you wish you'd known earlier, mm. or you wish somebody put in a different way so you'd paid more attention, or that actually you know you've acquired it now but only with the benefit of hindsight? But you know, we can share. I think the sheer amount of learning that you do after starting going right we're gonna you know michael's got a great idea me and my colleague tom are gonna help him make it and then we're like right we start the business and then you're like oh my god i am learning how to do a completely different a different set of skills here i am actually becoming a different person um because we're all sort of adapting to your different roles and that wasn't i mean it's not necessarily you can't be hugely prepared for that and i think the best thing you can do is just go and do it and learn how to do yeah. it because that's the you know that's the whole point of this kind of part of the thing that drives you is the is the learning is great so, so in some ways actually the role of enterprise education is not such much it's not so much about filling the bucket of here's all the know-how mm. as it is about lighting the match to say mm. that thing that you've got you could do this with it as well yeah and here's mm. the support network yeah. well not necessarily support network but here are a few things mm. so for me i when i set the business up 
base, it wasn't a spin out. There's no IP, and it was just a little business that uh, employed me for a year and a bit. Um, but it was feeling really quite alone in that, and actually feeling a bit, maybe sometimes a bit like a failure because I'd dropped out of academia. Um, but also really enjoying it and really liking solving the problem and like learning those new skill sets, even though um, on a completely different scale. Um, but you know, working out how to network and how mm. to find those mm-hmm. um, those support channels, because actually, um, with the exception of these CDT type things, quite often you're you're in a very small group um, as a as a researcher. So you have your supervisor and the rest of the research group usually. Absolutely, Michael. Anything that you wish you'd known? Probably too many things, but <laughs> uh, the one thing I would touch on to relate to that is uh, you don't realise how how much work it is. You know, everyone says it's a lot of work, and you're like, yeah, I did a PhD. How hard can it be? <laughs> it's mm. so much work. Uh, try not to do it alone. Oh yeah, um, I, I, we could have done it alone. No, I think if there's there's three of us working on this, and and without the three of us. It would, it would be a very teetery situation right now yeah. or not be there. And I think when I see senior academics and they've decided they've got, they're finally going to spin their tech out, they think, well, I've done all the tech work now. I've done 20 years of research. It's ready to go. Yeah. But actually, that's the really easy bit. The, the hard bit <laughs> yeah. is just chasing all the contacts. This yeah. would be... That, and yeah, yeah that's, that's a very valid point to make is that what people think... People sometimes think yeah. have a perspective of things in the university. Even the even the things like you know red that is set up to support things. You will find that their idea of what should happen would be very different from what a potential investor would mm. think should yeah. happen. And we would say, and you know, you'll have people say things like, just like, you know, if you are going to commit yourself to it, you need to leave the university. And you need to get out and throw yourself at it, which is what we're doing. Um, but then there's other people within the university who go, oh, that's a bit risky. But we're like, well, yes, but the idea is the investor will 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 really approve what you're doing if you're taking that risk. Mm. Um, so, uh, so you know, th- there are things like that disparities that you need to go out and learn for yourself. And and yeah. so it's like, don't always take exactly what the institution may tell you as 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 the absolute be all end all. Go and go and go and find it out. Yeah, that's good advice. Don't take advice or learn how to take advice. <laughs> well, yeah, everyone will give listen you advice. to everything. So much advice. So much yeah. advice there. But then it's. It's and then this is what everyone says yeah. to you is it's your business. Yeah. So then just go and do that. Work out what to ignore. Mental yeah. whiplash, isn't it? Mm. And I guess on that but on that basis, we've had a lot of advice today and it's really up to our listeners to work out which to which to which to listen to and which to ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you everybody for kind of sharing the experience. I think I think there's there's a lot of richness here and there's there's probably more to come back to. Uh, with future activity but I would just like to thank uh, Lauren, Michael and Simon for their contribution this afternoon um, and listen out for a future Built podcast thank you very much thank you